if you've been around Christian circles for any length of time, uh, you know there's a considerable uh, debate about how to determine God's will for your life. Uh, Some people teach that God has a very narrow, specific, detailed will of God for your life. You have to search for it. It's hard to find, and you're in danger of either missing out totally on God's will for your life, or maybe not totally missing out, but you're not certainly going to get God's best if you're outside of His perfect will. The line of thinking in that, there's only one person you can marry and be in the will of God, one job you can work at, one school you can choose, one street you can live on, and on and on and on. Now, not only is that not true, that's also the source of an incredible amount of spiritual anxiety. But I believe the proper teaching is that there's more flexibility in pursuing God's will. So as long as you're delighting yourself in the law of the Lord, you're avoiding obvious sin, and you're staying within the guardrails of God's principles of wisdom. But no matter which camp that you land in, uh, the one that agrees with me or the wrong one, amen, everybody would agree on one thing. Wouldn't things be easier if God just clearly spelled things out regarding his will? Like some kind of writing in the sky, words in your alphabet soup perfectly arranged. I don't know if they sell alphabet soup anymore. They will in heaven, praise God. The tomatoes on your Mexican pizza perfectly arranged, which is the Greek means heaven's feast, by the way. Write that down. But I think here's where we're deceived. What we think is this, is that if God's will was really, really clear, undeniable, writing the sky, fill in the blank, whatever, if it was really clear, then it would also be really easy to follow. The deception is this, is the reason that it's hard to pursue and follow God's will is because it sometimes is murky, and if it was clear, it would be easy to follow God's will. But the life of Jesus tells a different story in the Garden of Gethsemane. So turn with me this morning to Matthew Chapter 26, as we pick back up in our Red Letter Prayer series after a break for several weeks through our Super Summer Emphasis. God's given us some very specific instructions in several areas of our lives concerning His will. And and here's the reality. Knowing these things clearly doesn't make them any easier to obey. For example, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says this, For this is the will of God that you abstain from sexual immorality. Now that's clear, but there's a lot of sexual immorality going on in the world. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. Understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Now that's a clear verse, but there's still a lot of drunkenness going on, and a lot of people walking around not filled with the Spirit of God. Now you may say, hey, I'm not struggling with those things about sexual immorality or drunkenness, but consider these. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 16 through 18 says this, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, is it clear that we should rejoice and give thanks in all circumstances? Yes. Is it hard to do that? Absolutely. How about this one? 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 17. It is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Now, very clear, but let me let you in a little secret. I don't like suffering uh, when I'm doing good. I think I should be rewarded for doing good. Yes, suffering when I'm doing, uh, disobeying, but I don't like suffering when I'm doing good. So those things are really, really clear, but they're still hard to do. And the reality is we think if the will of God was clear, it would be easier. And so this morning, I don't want you to be discouraged by the difficulty in obeying God's will. 
And so instead, I want to equip you uh, by looking at the person of Jesus and specifically his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. And here's what we're going to see this morning in examining his prayer here in Matthew chapter 26. Jesus had the same struggles often that we're prone to. The Bible says he was tempted in all points. Even when he clearly knew the will of God, we're going to see that there was still angst and anxiety and deep feeling of despair when it came to actually obeying the weight of God's will in his life. And so in looking at this very well-known prayer, we hope to equip you for those moments where the will of God may be clear, but it's still hard to do. All right? So Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 through 41 this morning. And then Jesus went with him to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so... Could you not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so what we're seeing here in the Garden of Gethsemane, Matthew chapter 26, is one of the moments of Jesus' great anguish and sorrow uh, in his ministry leading up to Calvary. Now for context here, Jesus had just spent a tremendous amount of time with his uh, disciples. Uh, they had just celebrated the Lord's Supper together, and so Jesus is kind of giving some final instructions as he's making his march towards death. And so what after will be their last supper, Jesus and his three closest friends, his inner circle, Peter, James, and John, take a little walk outside of the valley in the city of Jerusalem to a park in the middle of an orchard of olive trees. The word Gethsemane actually means oil press. If you go there today, if you look at on the internet and see slides, you can still see these olive trees still uh, in this region. So here it is, Jesus retreats to an open place where he can spend more time with the Father prior to his arrest and crucifixion. And Jesus just says, hey, I'm the one who's getting ready to suffer. I'm the one who's getting ready to die. And so your assignment is really simple, that as I'm preparing for this spiritually and physically, if you could just spend a little time in prayer, I would be incredibly grateful. But instead, if you know the story, they fall asleep. Now, to give them some credit, uh, that was late, and they were absolutely exhausted. Listen, let's just be honest. Who in here has not laid down at night and thought, I'm going to pray and pray, and then all of a sudden, before you know it, you're asleep. Am I right? And so that's exactly what happens. They don't want to fail Jesus, but in the end, they did. Now, here's what's significant. In this passage, Jesus asked them specifically three times, watch with me. They knew exactly what Jesus' expectations were in this moment. Now, if you're like me, sometimes I would just wish that God would speak audibly. That if God spoke audibly, then I could hear him clearly. Then I could obey him more perfectly. But here's the reality in this passage. That's exactly what's happening. God himself, Jesus, God of the flesh, is speaking audibly. There is no lack of clarity about what his will is. Three times he says, watch with me. Yet verse 41 says, even though the spirit was willing, the flesh was weak. It wasn't that they were ignorant of God's will. It was just they couldn't obey God's will there in the garden with Jesus. And I think that if we're honest this morning, all of us probably see our lives and representative 
uh, in the disciples' lives as well. If I'm being honest this morning, too many of my spiritual ambitions die in the valley of good intentions. And so these principles are a great encouragement to me this morning as well. And so this passage is not only about the disciples as much as it is about Jesus modeling how to obey the will of God even when it's hard. And so what do we see Jesus modeling for us? That even when the will of God is clear, it's still hard. What does he model? This is what it looks like to please the Father in all things. So the first thing he models for us is simply this, is that we should pray honestly. We should pray honestly. Go back to verse 39 in the first half of verse 39. What's it say? And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Now, let me tell you what's refreshing to read about this passage. We see Jesus model for us that it's totally okay to ask God if it would be his will to deliver us from a painful situation. Now, can I just be transparent with you? I've never in my life asked God to lead me into difficult situations. (laughs) I've asked God lots of times to get me out of there, right? And so here's Jesus. He's in in a place of angst, in a place of great distress. And yet he prays. He says, Lord, Father, if this is possible, if there's another way to satisfy your demand over sin being paid for, I'm totally open for that, is basically what he's saying. One of the interesting things about disciples is that even though they were walking with Jesus and watching his ministry and hearing him teach in the flesh, they, they don't always, uh, weren't always understanding of what exactly he was saying. I love in John chapter 14 where Jesus says, uh, I'm going to prayer place and you know the way. And one of the disciples says, actually, we don't. Sometimes you speak in riddles, right? But that's not true of Jesus. He knows exactly what's going on. He was Fully God, yet fully man. Now, if you like big theological terms, that's called the hypostatic union of Christ. Fully God and fully man. And so because he was fully God, he knew. He was about to face death. He knew it was going to be uh, a death that was incredibly painful. He knew the physical pain, the spiritual anguish that he was about to suffer. And so, if you're listening, say amen. When Jesus prays, Father... Let this cup pass from me. What's the cup he's describing? It's the cup of God's wrath. Yes, being God, he knew the physical anguish. Yes, being God, he knew the prophecy that had to be fulfilled. Yes, being God, he knew all those things that were going to happen and exactly how it played out. Yet, fully man, he was also looking away from the suffering. But hear me this morning. The greatest suffering that he had anguish about was not the physical torment, although it was great. The greatest suffering is he knew that God's wrath over sin was being poured out on his life. And so he said, Lord, if there's any other way, Father, that I don't have to absorb all of your wrath for all of humanity, I'm totally open to that. And so we see Jesus praying honestly. One writer said this, to put it metaphorically, Jesus drinks the entire cup of God's wrath so there's none left for us to drink. In that moment, we see a real honest prayer, don't we? Jesus knows the game plan. And his weak in flesh, he's saying, hey, if there's a last ditch, if there's a plan B, I'm on board with that. And I hope you find that refreshing. It's okay to ask God for another way. Matter of fact, that's how we should model our prayers. We don't have to be afraid to be honest with God. So sometimes your prayers should sound like this. 
God, I'm tired of trying so hard in this marriage, and I feel like giving up. Lord, will you strengthen me to persevere in this marriage? God, why do I work so hard and have so little to show for it? Because inflation, amen, that's a whole different sermon. I'm a little bitter. I just want to share that. God, I'm mad at you for not saving my loved one, letting them die. God, I don't want to love my annoying neighbor. They're so hard to love. God, I'm depressed and alone. God, I really want to punch Kyle in the face for taking that job at the North Pole. Amen? (laughs) Hypothetically speaking. Hypothetically speaking. Was that out loud? But here's the point that I'm making. God loves it when we're honest with him because he already sees the true motive of our hearts. Now, here's what I know. That for a lot of Christians, that makes them nervous. Raw, honest prayers, telling God you're honest, telling God you're disappointed, telling God you're struggling, telling God you don't want to love someone who's hard to love. But here's what I mean. Some of you may say, you know what? I don't know if that's appropriate. I think you're exaggerating to make a point here. Listen, if you're not convinced that that's true and that's appropriate, then go and read the Psalms. Over and over, people pouring out their hearts. It's peppered with all kinds of real and raw emotions and disappointment with God and anger with other people. And they're pouring out their hearts. And what we learn from that is this, is that God doesn't want a polite relationship with us. God wants an honest one. God can bear the weight of your honest prayers. And ultimately, we don't let our emotions determine our obedience. That's a sign of immaturity. But God's not interested in hearing well-mannered prayers as much as he is in hearing real ones. And so it's okay to pray honestly, just like Jesus did. It's so perfectly expected to pour out our hearts in desperation. So Jesus is saying, hey, there's a plan B. I just want you to know, I'm totally on, on board with that. Totally on board with that. People debate this passage are saying that, was Jesus on the verge of sinning here? The answer is no. Jesus being God in the flesh could have never absolutely sinned. That's doctrinally, it's called the impeccability of Christ. And so he never experienced inner temptation like we do in our fallen t- uh, nature. But he did experience real outer man temptation. But he never could have sinned. So he's not on the verge of sinning here. He's just saying, hey, I'm open. If there's another way to accomplish this plan of redemption that doesn't require me to bear all of your wrath, I'm just praying honestly. And so we see here Jesus modeling what does it look like to obey the will of God. Even when it's clear, we've got to pray honestly. We can cry out with lament in the midst of our dread and anguish. But not only do we pray honestly, secondly, what we see Jesus modeling here is we should pray submissively. Look at verse 39 again. Verse 39, he says, Lord, if it's possible, let this pass from me. So there's an honest prayer. But nevertheless, in other words, ultimately, what he's saying here. Not as I will, but as you will. Now, if you're like me, most of the prayers that I pray are for positive things, or at least positive from my perspective. You know, God heals so-and-so. They're walking through a health trial with their health. God bless my family. Jesus, grow uh, our church. If you're like me, you pray for good out- outcomes, things that I think are for my good and other people's good and for God's glory. And so, but the reality is simply this is that often what's best for us is not always what's easy. 
In the economy of God, God does some of his best work in times of adversity. You've heard me teach this over and over throughout the years. Blessing is more spiritually dangerous than adversity. You know why? Because in seasons of blessing, I am quick to forget God because I've got an abundance of resources. But in seasons of adversity where I can't fix it, I can't figure it out, I draw close to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm weak and I need your help. And Lord, you've said if I pray and ask for wisdom in the midst of trials in the book of James, you'll give it to me. So listen, give me everything you have. And in those moments, God produces growth in my life. And so the reality is, I don't always need to pray for Pharaoh's army to chase me down. Or for Goliath to come and challenge me every day to fight a fight. Or for God to find a fiery furnace to throw me in. But, on the flip side of that, maybe my prayer shouldn't always be for God to remove something from my life. Life. Now, did we just say it's okay to pray for things that we desire and pray for those honest prayers? Absolutely. But maybe instead of asking God to repeatedly remove the obstacle when it becomes clear, he's not going to remove the obstacle. Remember the Apostle Paul? Apostle Paul said, hey, three times I asked for God to remove this thorn in the flesh. And what did God say? God said, I'm going to leave it in there because my grace is sufficient. We don't see Paul saying, hey, that's good, but I'm going to ask a fourth time, Right? And so maybe instead of asking God to repeatedly remove the obstacle, it should be for God's will to be accomplished through the obstacle should he choose not to remove it despite our petition. Let me make this as simple as I can. Sometimes if God does not answer your prayer of get me out of here, we should start praying, keep me here long enough to learn what it is that you're trying to teach me. Keep me here long enough so that I might, through the crucible of suffering of the refiner's fire, be more fully conformed into the image of your Son. Submitting ourselves to the ultimate will of our sanctification that God desires. And listen, when you pray that way, guess what? You're praying like Jesus. Jesus saying, hey, I'm good with plan B, but ultimately, not my will, Lord, but yours, Father. Now, does Jesus know he's going to die? Yes, he's fully God. He know he was the only way to provide salvation to everyone? Yes, he's fully God. Was he looking forward to the actual physical process of dying? No. Why? Because he was fully man, and yet he modeled what it means to pray submissively. While we're talking about praying submissively, I want to point out one more thing that's not explicitly stated in the text, but still be strong textual observation. Look back at verses 37 and verse 38. This is really, really, really important, so I want you to tune in, all right? Verse 37 and 38 says this. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Listen to this. And then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. He knows that he's about to bear the full cup of God's wrath. In a parallel account of this event in the Gospel of Luke, Listen to how it describes Jesus' agony at this moment. Listen to this in Luke twenty two forty four. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Now, you're like, what, what does that mean? Is blood pouring out of his face? Now, Luke was a medical doctor, and so uh, what he's referring to is an actual medical condition called hematidrosis. And hematidrosis can happen, uh, it's a rare condition, when a person under intense physical or emotional stress, the capillaries at the surface of their skin can burst 
to the point when they rupture, it mixes blood and sweat from the capillaries in their face. This is an actual medical condition. Now, I want you to listen closely. It's safe to conclude that from Matthew's account in chapter 26 and Luke's observation in Luke chapter 22, that despite Jesus praying submissively, his body and soul were not at peace. There was a tremendous amount of angst and anxiety. And you say, what are you getting at? I literally don't have enough fingers to count how many times someone has said, I know this is God's will because I have peace about it. Let me ask you a question. Was Jesus outside the will of God in the Garden of Gethsemane? No. Did Jesus have such an absence of a lack of peace and such spiritual anxiety that he literally was splitting drops of blood? Absolutely. And so the reality is simply this, is that sometimes uh, submitting to God's will doesn't remove all the anxiety. And so if peace, which can be subjective based on our emotions and our deceitful hearts, is the evidence of being in God's will, then the only thing we can conclude for Jesus, who is sweating drops of blood, is that in this moment he must have been outside the will of God because he did not have peace and there was a lot of anxiety, but clearly he was not outside the will of God for his life. And so what do we do? We test those things against the word of God. We test it against the Spirit of God. We get counsel from the people of God. Proverbs says there's safety in the multitude of counsel. But I want you to see here clearly, submitting to God's will is not always the absence of any and all anxiety. You ever had something that you knew God was calling you to do and you still dreaded it? Maybe it was a difficult conversation. Maybe it was reconciling with someone that you didn't want to reconcile with because the last time you tried to do it went really, really south real quick. Maybe it was sharing Christ with someone, but you were fearful how they were going to respond, if it was going to alienate or change that relationship. All of those things are things in accordance with God's will. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, for this is the will of God that you would abstain from sexual morality. And you say, well, if I, I do that, I know that's God's will for my life, but if I do that, my boyfriend and my girlfriend, they're going to break up with me. You see the point I'm making? Is that the absence of anxiety is not always the indicator that in fact you are pursuing the will of God in your life. Life And so you say, I'm going to pray submissively. Even if I'm anxious about what obedience looks like, I'm still going to pray submissively. Nevertheless, Jesus prays, not as I will, which you take this cup from me, but as you will. And so there's one more thing we see Jesus model here this morning's text. So we should pray honestly, but ultimately we should pray submissively. It doesn't mean that peace is always going to come. There can still be anxiety. We see that in Jesus modeling that as well. The third thing is this, is that we should live obediently. Praying submissively doesn't always equal easy because obedience is always costly. Skip down to verse 45. Verse 45 says this. And then he came to the disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. you got all the time to sleep in the world when you're dead, right? See, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. What's Jesus do? He prays honestly. God, if there's a plan B, 
He prayed submissively, but listen, ultimately it's your will, Father, not my will. And then he gets up and says, Lord, as I submit myself to the will of the Father, obedience is going to cost me something. Let's be crystal clear in the will of the Father that Jesus was carrying out. Listen to these verses. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. The will of God was for Jesus to die. Jesus had studied the scriptures. He understood prophecy. He knew the next few days would be mocked by, or filled with mocking and abuse and torturing death. And he knew that his family would be watching all of this. But yet the Bible says, He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death. On a cross. Now anything that God ever asks us to do in the name of obedience after that pales in comparison. But I don't want to minimize anything. Listen, here's the reality. Obedience will always have a cost. But hear me, the cost of obedience on the other side is the glory of God. And it's worth it. And it will satisfy your heart more in the long term than disobedience will in the short term. And so Jesus is modeling this. He's saying, hey, sometimes you can pray honest. And God says, hey, I'm going to give you an honest answer. I'm not removing that thorn in the flesh. I'm not removing that cup of wrath getting ready to be poured out. And you should pray submissively. Lord, ultimately, it's not what I want. It's what you want for my life, for this situation. But even when God reveals, hey, this is how this is going to play out. There still is a moment of decision when when you submit to the will of God and he reveals this is what obedience looks like, that you still have to be willing to pay the price. And obedience is always costly. We see that here. Jesus knew exactly the cost of obedience. Now, I hope you're encouraged this morning that Jesus knows exactly what it's like to want to do God's will but yet not suffer in the midst of it. I hope you're encouraged that even Jesus is honest before God in his prayers. I hope you're encouraged that even Jesus, when the will of God becomes clear in your life, it doesn't mean that, well, is this God's will? I don't have peace. Listen, Jesus is sweating drops of blood. There's spiritual anguish going on in his life. I hope you're encouraged that it's okay that you're having some spiritual anxiety. But I hope also that amidst all of that, when you move forward in faith, that you have counted the cost of following Christ. And I want you to be encouraged that Jesus experienced all of that, the same as we do. The same as we do. So quit beating yourself up spiritually. Oh, I have a hard time. I have a hard time submitting to God's will. Oh, I have a hard time with obedience. Sorry, listen. So did Jesus. If you're listening, say amen. Amen. Guilt is not a fruit of the Spirit. Let me repeat that. That's a good place for an amen. And you missed it. Guilt is not a fruit of the Spirit. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted in all points. What does that mean? Does it mean he was tempted with all things? No. Some of the temptations we have are unique to our culture and generation. 
So he wasn't tempted with all things, but he was tempted in all ways. His pride would, would have been tempted from without, not from within. He would have been tempted from without here at this moment because of his anguish to, to walk outside the will of God. But yet he knows exactly what it's like. We have a great high priest, Hebrews says, who identifies with our struggles. And because of that, we can go before the throne of grace and boldly ask for mercy. He identifies with all of that. He knows exactly what it looks like to walk when the will of God is clear, but it's still hard. And so Jesus is not only the example of, to follow when we pray. He is our Savior that we trust and we love and we abide in every second of every day. We've been talking about obeying God's will, but you know the best way to discern God's will? Partner with Jesus in prayer. Learn from Him. Sit at His feet. Ask of Him. Worship Him. And when you spend time with Him in intimacy, guess what? You'll be more sensitive to the leadership of the Lord and His Holy Spirit in your life. And when you spend time abiding with the Lord, guess what else will happen? When you abide in Him, Jesus says, if you abide in me, I'll produce much fruit. What does that mean? That when I spend time with Jesus pursuing intimacy with Him as the goal of my life, He empowers me to obey when it's hard and I do not want to obey. You know what you're left with apart from that? Willpower. That doesn't always turn out well. This week we had a, several events and we had lots of food. And I've been trying to do better. That's a prayer request. Going to the gym. Sometimes I don't go in, but going to the gym. <laughs> One time I went really early, and I got there, and I said, I am tired. And I'm just praying honestly before the Lord. And Lord, I'm hungry. Right? I'm hungry right now. I just want to share that. You know what I did? <laughs> I watched those people getting out of their car and a spirit of judgment invaded me. And I thought, look at these idiots. And I pulled out of that parking lot in Middletown, the HMY, and I turned left and praised God for his glory. I went to the drive-thru at McDonald's. Amen. <laughs> I felt good about it. This week, with these meetings, and there was pizza. Three meetings, there was pizza. Three times. I said, oh, what a terrible week. I said, no, no, no. This is God's good gift to his servant, Brad. All three times. They laid candy and donuts on the table in the office. I'm not eating those. I had four. <laughs> Willpower will not cut it. But here is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in me and causes me to want what I would not want and empowers me to obey when I could not obey. And the goal of the Christian life is not try harder, it's trust Jesus deeper. And as you abide in him, he causes you to want what you don't want and to obey when you could not obey, left to your own willpower. That is the hope of the gospel. So when we spend time with him, we're empowered to live for him with resources we do not have left to ourselves. You know what try harder ends up in? Two outcomes of try harder theology. Number one, it's pride. Look at how great I'm doing. Look at all these other losers, right? Look how obedient I am. It's Pharisees. 
But you know what the more common outcome of try harder is? Shame. I can't do it. I said I was never going to do that again. And here I am doing that again. I made a promise to God that I would you know, never fill in the blank or I would get up every day and spend time with him and I, you know, I sleep in or well, I share Christ that person, I chicken down. So the only two outcomes of try harder theology is pride, look how great I'm doing, or shame, look how poorly I'm performing. Listen, here's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't have to perform well to be accepted by God because Jesus performed perfectly on your behalf. So when we're confronted with temptation, what are we tempted when Jesus invites us, we're waiting for his return, to watch and pray? What are the temptations in front of us? Sometimes it's the temptation to not be honest with God in prayer. Just praying, praying polite, well-mannered prayers that are disconnected from what's going on in your heart that God already sees and knows. Sometimes the temptation is for our will and desires to be more important than God's. And sometimes the temptation is to stop trusting when the outcome does not seem to be favorable. You know what faith is? It's obeying God before you see the outcome. And oftentimes faith has to be exercised when you obey God and you imagine the outcome is going to be poor. Someone asked me one time, they said, I heard you teach on discipline. You know, why, why should I spank my kids? I said, because they're little sinners. Any other questions? Right? They said, well, I don't want to spank them. I said, well, here's the good news. You don't know this about me. I am a, called the ministry of surrogate spanking. I would love to spank your kid. <laughs> I laid to him one time. She said, my son has, you know, this some kind of an acronym disorder. I said, no, you know, I've spent some time around him. I said, he actually has uh, NBW. She said, I've never heard of that. What is it? I said, needs his butt whip, Right? In all seriousness, this person said, well, I just am afraid if I discipline my child, whether it's physical discipline or, you know, whatever the case is, if I discipline my child, it'll turn their heart away from me and it'll hurt our relationship. And I said, oh, that, that's a, I, I appreciate being honest. And I said, but you know what it means to live by faith is the Bible says this, that whoever refuses to discipline his son hates his son. So by faith, we do what God says we should do, even when we can't imagine how the outcome is going to be for, for our good and God's glory. That's what it looks like to live by faith, to obey the word of God, even, especially when you think the outcome is not going to look good. If I forgive that person, they're going to run over me again. Jesus says, forgive as you've been forgiven. If I tell the truth, they're not going to like me anymore. Listen, faithful are the wounds of a friend. And so the temptation sometimes is stop trusting God when the outcome appears it's going to be unfavorable. What Jesus' disciples said, he said, hey, I'm going to die. And they said, whoa, that's bad. That's not favorable. We're just getting this party started. And Jesus said, I'm sorry, this is what obedience looks like. And so church, let's just wrap up this morning and pray together that we would not allow these temptations to creep into our life, that we would pray honest, honest prayers and submissive prayers, and we would live obediently even when the outcome looks scary. Not because we're strong, but because in the midst of our weakness, he is strong. And the ultimate thing that moves us forward is not that life is easy or that life is fair. It's that we're living for the glory of God in all things.
Would you bow your heads this morning? With your head bowed this morning, in light of what we've taught today, I want to ask you a very specific question to wrestle through this morning, application-wise. And the question is this. Is there an area or a situation in your life that you're walking through right now you're pretty sure what it looks like to be obedient in but honest before God you're afraid of what obedience might cost is there a situation in your life where you know what obedience looks like but in the flesh you're afraid of what obedience might cost just right now, would you just pour out your heart to God in honesty? Would you just tell the Lord that I'm afraid of all kinds of anxiety when I think about that? I lack faith to obey your word in this area. I'm angry that you would call me to do whatever it is, fill in the blank. I'm bitter at that person or that situation to produce bitterness in my heart. I've allowed bitterness to take root in my heart. Would you just pray, honest before God, and would you just pour out your heart right now? And now would you pray a scary prayer? Would you say, Lord, not my will, but yours? Would you pray that right now? Not my will, but yours. And lastly, would you pray and say, Lord, give me strength that I don't have to live by faith. Because from my perspective, I can't imagine how this is going to have a good outcome. So would you pray right now and say, Lord, empower me to do what my heart doesn't want to do and empower me to live by faith and not by sight. God, empower me to not lean unto my own understanding in this situation, but by faith, help me to obey you. Give me the grace to obey. God, we're grateful that not only do we see the model of Jesus and what it looks like, when the will of God is clear but still hard. We're grateful that not only is Jesus our model, but he's our Savior. And Lord, we take refuge in him. So the only hope of obedience we have is the abiding life of Jesus Christ. And so God, not only have you called us to obey, you loved us so much, you did not leave us powerless to live for your glory. We are deeply grateful because we are so needy for your grace. And so Lord, even this week, as we move about our, our day and our week, God, there are going to be situations where your will is clear, but obedience is still hard. So God, in those moments, call to mind, haunt us with your truth. God, give us the grace to empower us in that moment 
to be more like Jesus and to trust you in the real everyday life that we're living. And when we have victory, we'll lay all of that at your feet. We pray in Jesus' name because we can.